everybody. Welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is Sarah. And this is Katie. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming back, you guys, and thank you, Katie, for making time to record this episode. Thank you, Sister Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks all around. Thank you. Sorry, listeners, I am eating, so if you hear me noshing in the background, I'm really sorry, but it's been a crazy work day, and my fucking delivery guy took 3,000 hours to get here, and so my pizza just came, and I'm hungry, so I'm going to eat it while recording. So I'm sorry if you hear me, but also, sorry about it, not sorry. (laughs) Also, she's got to eat. Girl's got to eat. I got to eat. I'm hungry. Um, Anyway, how are you, Katie? I'm lovely. I don't know if I have any particular updates before we start. Do you have, I guess I didn't ask you, do we have any opening announcements? <laughs> um, I don't think we have opening announcements other than we had like a nasty troll this week. Ugh. God. Yeah, I posted about him on our Instagram stories and all of you on Instagram, you were lovely. You came to our defense, and it was great. But, uh, yeah, I I would talk about him more, but I'm over it. I don't want to give him any more attention because I think he likes it. So Agreed. And he well, probably I, listens to our podcast and is, like, obsessed with us secretly, and that's what it is. I think that's so. That's kind of creepy. Ooh. I know. I know it's super creepy sometimes I think about that like because I'm a weirdo but I'm like oh my god I wonder if there's like creepy people out there who listen and like never mind that's not us we don't have a community like that we don't have those people in our community only cool people that's it we only got the cool people hopefully Mm -hmm. fingers crossed but no he was pretty creepy like so listeners on our Instagram on our saved like highlighted stories on one of them we have it's where you can see what Sarah and I look like. And he responded to a video where Sarah was talking like, and this was ages ago. This wasn't Mm -hmm. like it was just posted recently. So that is kind of creeper level now that you say that. So Mm -hmm. anyway, I'll leave that at that, but haters gonna hate trolls. Bye. (laughs) Bye. So today for our topic, I haven't even told Sarah what I picked yet. So this will be a surprise to everyone. But also, can we talk about how we didn't chat? You're welcome, motherfuckers. Like we're going straight to the topic. You know. Um, but maybe that's because I'm stuffing my face with pizza, so I, I can't really talk. So that could be. Maybe maybe we'll get back to the chatter next week. But um. <laughs> so but yes, I'm excited for the topic. So this week I decided to talk about. The Miracle of Forgiveness. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. (laughs) So, The Miracle of Forgiveness. You know, I'm sure you've heard of it, Sarah. Yeah, Yeah, it's a big, fat red book, right? That everyone has. Every Mormon has a copy of it. Yeah, I think I've seen the copies where it's that old, like, 70s-style font. Yeah. Yeah. So, listeners, if you don't know, The Miracle of Forgiveness is like a Mormon book, and it was written by Spencer W. Kimball, who was the prophet from 1973 to 1985. So, he was... So, it was the 70s. 
Yeah, and he was the prophet. I mean, it's crazy because I, when I read that, when I went through this book, I was like, this seems like it was written forever ago. But then when you put it into context, like 1985 wasn't that that long ago. That was just barely before you and I were born, right? I know. I was like, careful, we were late eighties babies. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, 85 is not that long ago. It's not that old. It's not. <laughs> I know I've reached the age where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm I'm officially old, but it's fine. Um, OK, so this book was widely printed, like pre- I feel like almost every Mormon household had this. I don't I don't know if my parents house has one, but I, I think they did when I was growing up because I remember seeing it like in all of my friends houses, too. It's always on like the bookshelf of a Mormon family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't sorry like isn't one copy like gray with rainbows or something like that you know what that sounds I think it's yeah it's some kind of like nature scene I'll have to find a picture of it okay. and we can post it um so Spencer W. Kimball was um kind of a piece of crap just in general as we've talked about he's the <laughs> same one that uh it was that era of you know when we talked about how they would take Native American children from their homes and, like, bring them into white communities. That was Spencer W. Kimball who did that. Ew! Yeah, so he's just sort of shitty all around. He <laughs> he opposed the um, Equal Rights Amendment, which was, you know, equal rights for women. That was in 1976. He publicly, and the church actually, publicly opposed it because he, quote, he said that the Equal Rights Amendment would promote a unisex society which would increase sinful homosexual and lesbian activities. So what in the actual fuck? And how do we not know this? Like, (laughs) this is the shit that pisses me off. Like, if I would have known that 15 years ago or 20 years ago, I I think I would have, I don't think I know I would have left a lot earlier. Yeah. You know, like, that's absolutely ridiculous. I know when I was a Mormon, I didn't even realize that the church opposed the Equal Rights Amendment, but they did very strongly. Uh, So, yeah, that's it's just crazy that you never learn that stuff. Um, So in this book, uh, it was written, I said, yeah, in 1969, it was written and he it basically outlines all types of sins that people can commit like (laughs) it goes over how pretty much humans are just worthless pieces of garbage who are sinners and they need God's forgiveness and they need to repent so that's why it's like the miracle of forgiveness so you can oh my god I'm so glad I never read this book even though it was like really pressured yeah like I know everyone's always like you have to read the miracle of forgiveness and I want to say in my temple prep class, they also asked us to do it. And I was just like, that book is long and boring as fuck. I'm not reading it. They did that in temple prep class? Oh, wow. Yeah. And also like an institute, I remember there was like a class on it or maybe it was BYU. that There's like an entire class devoted to it. Really? See, I had no idea. Um, I just know that it's still, even though it was written uh, 1969, yeah, it's still like... I guess, distributed and read. And I know that they reference it in church manuals, like for lessons in Sunday school and things like that. Mm -hmm. So 
the stuff that's written in here, which I have some highlighted quotes. I, you guys, I went all out. I downloaded the freaking PDF of this. No. <laughs> yes. And I went through and I highlighted quotes that I want to read to you later. Um, so I took one for the team, you guys. But <laughs> I just so want to point impressed out with you right now. that this is still what is like being taught and you'll see how crazy that is in a minute and the church has never denounced this book they still distribute it and like talk about it and I guess it's not technically like scripture you as they say but you know how they they do say that um the prophets speak for God and the prophets won't lead you astray. And this was written by a prophet. So some, I'm, I'm sure that some members and some interpretations of it can be seen as scripture, which mm. is gross, as you will see. <laughs> and isn't there like a, a master scripture that says something about like um, prophets speak on behalf of the Lord and it is scripture? Something like that. Maybe it's like, I want to say Amos 3.7. You I don't know, know why that's coming to my head. That sounds so familiar. Cause mm. well, and yeah, that's what you're taught. Like <laughs> that's why we have prophets. That's why the Mormon church has prophets currently is because they need a prophet to speak for God currently. Um, so anyways, but they like to say that, oh, he was just speaking as a man, but not for God and cherry picking. Ugh, when it's when, convenient for them. When it's convenient. Um, oh, oh my God, guys! Sorry, I looked it up, and I was totally right. You were. <laughs> my memory amazing. All oh. those years of brainwashing totally paid off. <laughs> Thank you, Mormon Church. <laughs> they hammered it into your head so far you remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> it says, "Surely the Lord God will do nothing but He revealeth His secret unto His servants, the prophets." Wow. Wow. I'm honestly mm. legitimately impressed with you right now, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't I remember like useful things like that instead of fucking Mormon trilogy or uh, trivia trilogy <laughs> trivia <laughs> Mormon trivia. <laughs> uh, so, okay. I guess that's, that's a good enough background. I'm just going to go through and I'll read you some of these highlighted quotes, and you can tell me what you think. We can discuss Ooh, them. Please do. I have finished my pizza, wiped the grease off my hands and face, and I'm ready. <laughs> Are you ready for our lesson on the miracle of forgiveness? This yes. book that's given to people in the church. <laughs> oh, and by the way, this book is given to people who are quote-unquote struggling with same-sex attraction no this is, this is like given to them as a prescription for like this will make you better this will cure you and in this book it clearly says that homosexuality can be cured oh my god it's so gross it's way gross uh, i'm already cringing and you haven't even read anything yet Prepare yourself, dear. <laughs> okay, I'm sitting back. I'm, I'm okay. relaxing on my couch. All right, so let's gonna do this. I'm going to start a little bit easier, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get probably worse and worse as it goes along. I'll just read what I have highlighted. Okay. Okay. So, this quote says, 
Without God, repentance would have little meaning and forgiveness would be both unnecessary and unreal. If there were no God, life would indeed be meaningless. And as with the Babylonians, the Israelites, and numerous other peoples and civilizations, we might find justification in an urge to live only for today, to eat, drink, and be merry, to dissipate, and to satisfy every worldly desire. If there were no God, there would be no redemption, no resurrection, no eternities to anticipate, and consequently, no hope. That's that's within like the first couple of pages. He's basically saying that if you don't believe in God, nothing's like worth it. And I hate that when they say that everything to live for is in the next life or believing in a God. Like you shouldn't enjoy yourself. Don't eat, drink, and be merry right now because... Like, it's not worth it if you don't believe how they tell you to. But that's so the mentality. It's like, how long? I mean, it was like 20, 29 years of my life of that mentality of like, oh, it'll be better in the next life. Or it'll be better once I'm married. And it'll be better once I have kids. And once I'm a, like, proper righteous woman wife. And it'll be blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, it's it's totally a control method, like how they control you, mm-hmm. but also it's all about fear. I mean, the the yeah. quote you just read is like so fear invoking, like it's terrifying to read yeah. that as a a believer. You know, that's what a prophet of God is telling you, supposedly. Like you're meaningless without them and without their church. And like you said, it's it's really sad that it's always like it'll be better later my life will get better later and even when it's like maybe after I die that's so sad Ugh. but it's 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 really sad and I think I mean again we've talked about this before but for me it was like an epiphany I had of like oh I after I left the Mormon church I actually started experiencing life and I don't mean that just like experiencing I'm doing air quote sins but like everything like having to deal with real life relationships that weren't Mm -hmm. fake or one-sided or based on some fake foundation of like my alternate reality that I had on life because I was so brainwashed by the Mormon church so it's like crazy how when that's taken away you're just like oh my god life is so hard but it's not hard it's just you're finally experiencing it like you're finally (laughs) dealing with emotions and feelings and relationships and you know communication and blah 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 and it's like oh (laughs) oh that's what that is all of it yeah this is what actual life is I yeah Uh, okay there are many members of the church who are lax and careless and who continually procrastinate They live the gospel casually, but not devoutly. They have complied with some requirements, but are not valiant. They do no major crime, but merely fail to do things required. Things like paying tithing, living the word of wisdom, having family prayers, fasting, attending meetings, serving. Perhaps they do not consider such omissions to be sins, yet these were the kinds of things of which the five foolish virgins of Jesus' parable were probably guilty. The ten virgins belonged to the kingdom and had every right to the blessings, except that five were not valiant and were not ready when the great day came. They were unprepared through not living all the commandments. They were bitterly disappointed at being shut out from the marriage as likewise their modern counterparts will be. One church member of my acquaintance said, 
as she drank her coffee, the Lord knows... Yeah, the Lord knows my heart and he is right that I have good intentions and I will someday get the strength to quit. But will one receive eternal life on the basis of his good intentions? Can one enter a country, receive a scholastic degree and so on and on the strength of good intent unsupported by appropriate action? Samuel Johnson remarked that hell is paved with good intentions. The Lord will not translate one's good hopes and desires and intentions into works. Each of us must do that for himself. Like that is so crazy to me how blatantly he was speaking about that. I just, I, (laughs) I don't even know what to say. Like I'm just speechless, you know? Like, how do people read this and take this seriously? I, like, he's using the example of, like, this woman was drinking coffee. She's not valiant. If she dies tomorrow, that's, you know, the road to hell is paved in good intentions because she drank coffee. Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so cringy and gross. Oh, my God. I just. I mean, just the line of that. I mean, again, you you just pointed out, but again, I just need to reiterate <laughs> coffee. Like she's drinking her coffee as if that's like the most sinful thing in the world to be doing is drinking coffee. <laughs> I it's blowing my mind that I used to believe this shit. Like, I'm so glad. I'm not glad. I'm pissed that I didn't read this earlier because my ass would have been like, bye, bitches, a lot mm-hmm. sooner. Because that's insane, especially considering Mormons drink fucking like and I'm not saying it's just Mormons like everyone does but it's so hypocritical in the church when they drink like energy drinks or tons of soda (laughs) or fucking bless and to strengthen and nourish our bodies some baked cookies and some you know sugary everything it's like come on just yeah (laughs) hypocritical I don't bless my sugary cookies because I know it's bad for me (laughs) like I know I'm eating you own it Sugar cookies dipping in my my latte, you know? Hell yeah. No, and the thing that's extra <laughs> crazy about this is this woman is a Mormon, and she's like, yeah, I think God knows my heart. God knows my intention, and he's okay with me drinking coffee. And instead of allowing her to have that personal relationship with whatever God she's, you know, create, you know, she thinks she has a relationship with, like, Instead of just allowing that to be and moving on, he has to call her out in a book that's distributed to everyone in the Mormon church. Like, what a dick. (laughs) Exactly. And imagine if this is is this woman, like, if she even considered going back to the church, it's like, well, I wouldn't if fucking the prophet put me on blast in a book. I'm like, bye. Bye, boy. (laughs) Okay, here's another kind of funny one. We have become a world of Sabbath breakers. On the Sabbath, the lakes are full of boats and the beaches are crowded and the shows have their best attendance. The golf links are dotted with players. The Sabbath is the preferred day for rodeos, conventions, family picnics, and ball games are played on the sacred day. Even the stranger that is within thy gates is pressed into service. Business as usual is the slogan for many, and our holy day has become a holiday. And because so many people treat the day as a holiday, numerous others cater to the wants of the fun lovers and the money makers. Sabbath breakers, too. 
are those who buy commodities or entertainment on the Sabbath, thus encouraging pleasure palaces and business establishments to remain open, which they otherwise would not do. If we buy, sell, trade, or support such on the Lord's day, we are rebellious as the children of Israel, the dire consequences of whose transgressions against this and other commands commandments should be a permanent warning to all. Oh, my. <laughs> I wish I had God. known about this quote. I wish I'd like um had this quote in front of me when we were talking about our the Sabbath day episode because this was so perfect for that. <laughs> well, also it's like again because I didn't know I'm not going to use that as an excuse, but <sighs> Yeah, I didn't know about it, but also back in my Mormon days, I probably just would have, I, I, not even probably, 100% wouldn't consider how ridiculous and hypocritical it is. Because again, it's like saying that Christianity is the only religion that you have to recognize and follow their rules and their Sabbath day. Like, oh, what about yeah. the Jewish faith that's on <laughs> Saturday? Yeah, how do they know which day is the Sabbath day and how to, like, I guess, honor it? I, it's but again, I always, I always thought this like as a Mormon, but I was just kind of like, all right, I'm gonna not question it too much. But the fact that like it's so ridiculous to me, why on earth would a God really give a fuck if you spend money on the Sabbath or not, or if you go to a lake instead of staying in your apartment watching TV or reading scriptures? Like, is he really that petty? Because come on. <laughs> That would be a very petty God if he's like, look, they're enjoying this beautiful lake that I created for them. That's against the rules. No lakes, no parks, no rodeos. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I would be that God. I'd be like, no, I want an entire day where you just worship me. Thank you. Just sit there and think about me and tell me how cool I am. Yeah. (laughs) Read read my book, which my book would be like my Instagram or my Facebook or my actual book and be like, you have to read that all day on Sunday and give me your praises and do oh, nothing. Yeah. That is it. That is it. Or sorry, hell for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay. Next quote. There are also sins which approach the unforgivable. These are the diabolical crimes of sexual impurity. In varied form, they run from aberrations involving self-abuse, sex stimulation, and self-pollution to abhorrent and unnatural practices involving others. Whether named or unnamed in scripture or the spoken word, any sexual act or practice which is unnatural or unauthorized is a sin. Oh, so is butt sex a sin? Is that what that would be saying? <laughs> I think how he used that's the unnatural. Word, <laughs> how he was saying that any kind of sex that's unauthorized is a sin, that totally creeped me out. It's like you have to get authorization to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine maybe like calling up God or the prophet and be like, hey, just quick question. Um, my husband and I, we bought some anal beads and I was wondering if that's authorized or not. Can, is that a green light? Can we use those? No? Yes? Okay, bye. 
like, okay, bye. Can you authorize this? Can you sign okay, off bye. on this real quick? I, I got to go do the paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, how great would that be is if, like, people in the Mormon church showed up to their bishops with, like, all these sex toys and are like. <laughs> and they're like, which um, ones are authorized and which ones are not? <laughs> yeah, we have two boxes because you just put the, you know, the authorized one in this box and then the unauthorized ones in this box and then we'll just know. We'll just know which ones we're allowed to use and which ones are not. And where. If you could also point to the map of the genitals and let us know where we're allowed to use them. Thank you. Thanks. So creepy. I hate it. (laughs) Okay. Here's another one. (laughs) This area of conduct presents a tremendous temptation, especially to the youth of this age of Loose talk and loose action on college campuses and elsewhere, which favor premarital sex experience. How can one believe deeply in God and his scriptures and yield to unchastity? It is wholly wrong. President David O. McKay has pleaded, your virtue is worth more than your life. Please, young folk, preserve your virtue even if you lose your lives. Do not tamper with sin. Do not permit yourselves to be led into temptation. Conduct yourselves seemly and with due regard, particularly you young boys, to the sanctity of womanhood and do not pollute it. (laughs) (laughs) I hate that one, how they say your virtue is worth more than your life. Like, I've heard that talk before, how he says, that's that quote from David O. McKay. And he, in that talk, he says, like, if you're getting raped, it's better that, like, if if you f- don't fight them off, like, it's better if you were trying to fight them off and they killed you than you didn't try to fight them off and they raped you. Like, it, you're better Ooh. off dead. Yeah. That's in a talk? Yeah, because, like, your virtue, it says, like, yeah, your virtue is worth more than your life. It's, like, if you don't fight oh him off, God. you're better off dead. That fucking pisses me off. Oh, I hate it so much. So much. I just... I don't even know what to say. Like, that... It Actually, it it doesn't just piss me off. It makes me really sad to think about all the women in the church who have been molested or raped or any type of abuse, and maybe they didn't fight it off because... Usually that's an instinct because the the person could kill you. Like, oh it's, right, you know yeah. what I mean. Like, it's not like as easy as like I'm gonna fight them off. And it's like, well, no. In some situations, it's better to not. In most situations, it's not because yeah. they could kill you. What if they have a rep a weapon or whatever? You know, yeah. like there's just certain situations. Usually, yeah, and usually, like I guess not always, but a lot of times when you're being raped, like the rapist is larger than you and can control you. So yeah, there's always some kind of threat of like, they could hurt you really bad, like more than they already are, or they could kill you. And so if you're, you're sitting there trying to like punch them, all they have to do is strangle you. Like, and that's when it turns to murder. So yeah. And it's also not so black and white, you know, like what, I mean, I know. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you don't feel like, yeah, okay, maybe the person doesn't have any type of weapon, but like you're saying, they're bigger than you. So it's a matter of like, what do you do, you know? And as someone who's 
experience that it's it's that situation where you do feel guilty afterwards and especially as an ex-mormon because you think it's your fault like i allowed this to happen i didn't fight back enough or i could have stopped or i could have you know fought back more and just not done it blah, blah blah it's my fault it's my fault and it took a while to work through that to realize like no actually it's not i did the the right thing in that moment because i didn't know what that person would do they yeah. were a lot larger than me. I didn't know them that well. Like, who was saying what would have happened, you know? And it's okay that I didn't fight back. Like, it's not, I'm not less of a victim because yeah. I didn't fight back. No. Um, and, and I think that's so fucked up that that is what they have in that book. That is I know. It's, it's horrible that they're saying your virtue, basically your virginity, is worth more than your life. And it's. Uh, it's absolutely appalling that, you know, wow. they would place that above anyone's life. And, ugh, gross. <sighs> okay, moving on. So it says, many modern writers, even those of prominence, and including some ministers of religion, have stated that there could be no harm if two consenting parties engage in premarital sexual experience. Our civilization is certain to disintegrate, however, when a practice like this moves toward being universal. No nation can long continue to exist on such an irresponsible philosophy. Broken homes, illegitimacy, venereal diseases, and emotional disturbances connected with such developments are certainly not the exclusive concern of two consenting adults. The Lord knew this and gave commandments accordingly, and all rational... All rationalizations contrary to these are sinfully wrong. <laughs> so even if your like progressive Christian minister says, yeah, two consenting adults, go ahead. He's sinfully wrong. <laughs> wow. You know, this makes me think of, um, so at BYU, I took a sociology class. Um, I took a few and this was the first one I took. <clears throat> and it's crazy how... Yeah, it's it's so brainwashed. It affected me for a long time, even until now. So basically, they they talked about the study of cohabitation, right? <laughs> and uh, they that's presented it. <laughs> yeah, that's what you were doing, you sinner. <laughs> you need to have the miracle of forgiveness in your life. No. <laughs> um. And the professor, like, he showed the stats and was like, you know, they did a study on cohabitation and it statistically shows that it leads to higher divorce rates if you live together, cohabit together, cohabitate together. Is that the word? Cohabitate together? Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, uh, compared to those who don't do that and then get married, like, the, the, dis uh, the difference is quite high like the statistics are much higher for divorce so they were basically blah. telling you that the mormon way is the better way like don't don't live with the person before you marry them exactly and so <laughs> when i heard that i was like oh my god that's god speaking the truth that's what it is like that's why you shouldn't live together before you get married like blah blah blah, blah. so i've had that mentality for a long time like I think I had that class when I was 18 so it, it's been a while and I always thought that and I was always super judgy about people who lived together before marriage and like were living in sin and I always <laughs> assumed I was like 
they're not going to make it. Their relationship's not going to make it. They're going to get, you know, either if they get married, they'll divorce. But if they don't get married, they'll break up, blah, blah, blah. And it's interesting. It's still like a bit in the back of my mind. I have to like constantly push it out and tell myself that that's maybe maybe that study was real. But I guarantee that like he took it out of context. Like somehow it was maybe like a certain statistic in a a specific area or maybe it was an old study or maybe it was just looking at a certain type of financially like a different income or whatever you know what I mean like it I'm sure it wasn't a by unbiased like study that would actually give relevant yeah you can have a study that will say anything you want (laughs) yeah Um, and maybe I'm wrong like correct me if I'm wrong listeners if it actually is like an accurate 100 percent you know survey that's like verifiably correct maybe it is but the point is how they they drilled it in your head so that you were like terrified of this and like oh my god this is why you don't do it and even now like my boyfriend and I will move in together and after doesn't matter when we're we're planning on it and I'm constantly like oh my god does that mean that we're gonna like our relationship's gonna like crumble and like (laughs) we're not gonna make it and you know if we're gonna get get divorced and we're living in sin (laughs) sinner honestly I I guess I don't know I don't know the stats but I feel like it's probably you have a lot higher chance of succeeding at your relationship and your marriage if you live together before you get married. Yeah. Like, I I would think that that's the case, but then again, I don't know. I haven't looked it up. So, I guess, listeners, we can look it up after and see, but I feel like that yeah, would be the case. But I, the person more, like, and you know their habits and you know how you work when you're living together versus just, <clears throat> you know, coming together, not knowing all of the little quirks about each other. Yeah, exactly. No, and also, I think it's important to note that this is a study assuming that you are ever going to get married, that you want to get married. Oh, true. Yeah, I mean, true. who says that just because you're together, you have to get married, you know, like it, it's patriarchy. Me, it's, yeah, <laughs> like I've been thinking a lot about that lately and like, oh, if that's something that I want or not. And I don't know. I just think it's interesting that it's always been presented as there's no other way. But then living in oh, yeah. Berlin, it's quite it's quite eye-opening because a lot of, especially when I worked in the schools, like in, yeah, with younger kids and would see their parents, I wouldn't say most, okay, but quite a lot of them, they're not married. Like their parents are like 50s, 60s, and they never married. They're just, they live together, but they never, they never married. And it's a common thing here, you know? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know, but in the, the, I guess like the states and the religious culture of Mormonism, especially, it's like, you're just expected to one day get married. <laughs> you don't even really Otherwise, you're living in sin. Living in sin. Okay, moving on. Among the most common sexual sins our young people commit are necking and petting. <laughs> Ew, I hate <laughs> this one. Your favorite words. <laughs> Not only do these improper relations often lead to fornication, pregnancy, and abortions, which are all ugly sins, but in and of themselves, they are pernicious evils, and it is often difficult for youth to distinguish where one ends and another begins. They awaken lust and stir evil thoughts and sex desires. I mean, I'll give him props. He's kind of accurate on some things. Like, he, it's true. You know, my neck is my sweet spot. So if you start nibbling on there and petting it, 
and naked me, it's gonna lead to some some sexy time. Like that's for sure gonna happen. But uh, the rest of it, pretty sure that's not how it happens. Like. Yeah, there's this thing called contraception, and so if you want to have sex, it's just someone kissing your neck is not immediately going to get you pregnant and then lead you to get an abortion. That's how it goes. It reminds me of that scene in Mean Girls with the coach where it's like, don't have sex, you will get pregnant and die. Now everyone grab a condom. And die. Um, oh, man. The devil knows how to destroy our young girls and boys. He may not be able to tempt a person to murder or commit adultery immediately, but he knows that if he can get a boy and a girl to sit in the car late enough after the dance or to park long enough in the dark at the end of the lane, the best boy and the best girl will finally succumb and fall. He knows that all have a limit to their resistance. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like he's done those things. <laughs> oh my god. I uh, that gave me the giggles. <laughs> I wonder how many of the prophets and apostles have like are either a I'm doing air quotes addicted to porn or have like a totally secret life with like prostitutes and I I sorry, sex workers and uh yeah just like shady shady leave it like living a secret life not that any of that stuff is shady but like not being honest about it not being honest I know or like I wonder how many of them are actually gay and they just oh my god it. so many I bet and yeah. I wish they would just come out because I think they would be amazing and, I know. Uh, Speaking yeah. of coming out, this is a little off topic, but hey yo, that's our style. Speaking <laughs> of coming out though, did you see that Ed Smart, Elizabeth Smart's father, came out as gay? No. Yeah, he came out as gay and as leaving the church. What? Yeah, because he he was like he finally admitted that like he'd been hiding it and trying to get rid of it. I think he's in his sixties now. And um he just realized that it had been eating away at him for too long and he couldn't deny that part of his identity and it wasn't working with, like, that made it so that his marriage didn't work. I think his wife filed for divorce because she didn't want to be married to a gay dude. But and, she uh, wouldn't get in the D anymore. He was like, I ain't having this vagina mess anymore. Oh, he's like, I tried. I tried for, like, what, probably 40 years, but... <laughs> Anyways, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> Good on him. You know, I think that's really impressive. And it's obviously difficult because it's not just like coming out. Well, I can't relate in any level, so I'm not going to try to pretend like I know how difficult it is. But I would imagine it's a much it's much more difficult when you're in the spotlight. And, yeah. you know, they did all these interviews praising the church, you know, and saying like, especially Elizabeth Smart, saying that even though she went through this, like she, you know, went on a mission and got married in the temple and her family was really supportive. So I'm sure it was it was even more difficult for him to come out and tell his truth whenever his daughter is like a spokesperson for the church and like overcoming these horrendous things that happened to her and still finding faith in the Mormon church, you know? Yeah. 
So good. I mean, I'm I'm really yeah, good for him. Good yeah, for him. Good for him. Okay, moving on to more quotes, which I know you're just so eager to get to. Um, <laughs> a word of warning is in order about wives going out to work. <laughs> Stop. This is not in this. This is like, real. This is still in there. How the fuck can people be progressive Mormons when there's this out there? Like, how? How do they even quote Spencer W. Kimball when he wrote this book? Anyway. They leave their husbands each day and work often in the presence of other men where they are exposed to flirtations, displays of interest and affection, and confidences all in a situation freed from family concerns and thus inducing the relaxation in which romantic attractions can develop. This setup can be fraught with danger to the home. Wow. Fuck that guy. Like, he's saying that women can't go to work because they're going to get advanced. Like, men are going to hit on them. And But it's fine when men go to work and, like, they're the ones doing the hitting on their secretaries or whatever it was happening in 1969. Exactly. <laughs> also, it's like we're only, like, the only thing that we're, we're worthy of is, like, being a stay-at-home wife and mother and like we shouldn't go out and tempt other men again it's like placing all the blame on the woman yeah all if you go out you're gonna break her. up your family and you're tempting <clears throat> the men and your children are left at home Ugh. oh gross <laughs> god all right. i wish i would have known about that like read this book this is what you get for being a lazy motherfucker like me because i was like i'm not reading it it's long and boring but if Girl, I had read this shit earlier, I, I don't think I would have stayed as long. I didn't I read it when imagine. I was a Mormon. Yeah, because I guess I wasn't forced to read it when I was a Mormon, so I didn't. But, yeah, now knowing that it's a thing that I knew that they talked about it. They pick out the, uh, the parts of it that aren't disgusting, and they'll talk about those parts in, like, Sunday school. But they don't read these parts aloud very often because they're no. awful. Um. Most youth come into contact early with masturbation. (laughs) Many would-be authorities declare that it is natural and acceptable, and frequently young men I interview cite these advocates to justify their practice of it. To this, we must respond that the world's norms in many areas depart increasingly from God's law. The church has a different, higher norm. Thus, prophets anciently and today condemn masturbation. It induces feelings of guilt and shame. It is detrimental to spirituality. It indicates slavery to the flesh, not the mastery of it, and the growth toward godhood, which is the object of our mortal life. Our modern prophet has indicated that no young man should be called on a mission who is not free from this practice. While we should not regard this weakness as the heinous sin which some other sexual practices are, it is of itself bad enough to require sincere repentance. What is more? It too often leads to grievous sin, even to that sin against nature, homosexuality. For, done in private, it evolves often into mutual masturbation, practiced with another person of the same sex, and thence into total homosexuality. Oh my god, I don't even... (laughs) There's 
so much fucked up in that that I don't even know where to begin. Like, I and I, well, I do. First of all, I love that it's only men who are masturbating. Oh, yeah. No, women, women don't, don't masturbate. masturbate. No, they're sexless unless a man wants to have sex with them. Then they're tempted. Exactly. <laughs> and also, it's like again, it's it's this whole gym coach mentality, like. If you masturbate, then you will, you know, surely participate in homosexual acts, and then you will be a homosexual. It's yeah. like really. Well, that God. is not. That is not the case. Like I'm like pretty much every dude has. I'm sure almost every guy I'm sure has masturbated, and not all of them are gay. That's not how it works, Spencer. Sorry. Exactly. Off. <laughs> um, I also think it's funny what his term of mutual masturbation, like jerk What does that other. even mean? <laughs> I guess like giving each other hand jobs. I don't know. <laughs> or doing it together. I don't really understand. But he says that that's a thing, apparently, that you do it once you start masturbating. Nah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Once you twiddle your diddle, you just can't stop, and you do it with everyone. <laughs> you do you do it with everyone. You do it to everyone. You can't stop yourself. <laughs> you just go to everyone, but like, let me twiddle your diddle, please. Can I yeah. twiddle your 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 diddle needs some twiddling? <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, this one's gross. Homosexuality is an ugly sin, repugnant to those who find no temptation in it, as well as to many past offenders who are seeking a way out of its clutches. It is embarrassing and unpleasant as a subject for discussion, but because of its prevalence, the need to warn the uninitiated and the desire to help those who may already be involved with it is discussed in this chapter. He has a whole chapter about how, like homosexuality is a sin and he calls it a perversion and wicked and all of that stuff it sounds like he is actually gay and is struggling with it yeah um poor spencer i wish he just would have known to come out you know know, instead of being such a hater spencer's a mega hater sin and Sin in sex practices tends to have a snowballing effect. As the restraints fall away, Satan incites the carnal man to ever-deepening degeneracy in his search for excitement, until in many instances he is lost to any former considerations of decency. Thus it is that through the ages, perhaps as an extension of homosexual practices, (laughs) men and women have sunk to even seeking sexual satisfactions with animals <laughs> yeah if you what? it's like linking homosexuality with bestiality oh in the hell <laughs> how is this a church book like <laughs> oh my god i just can't also again it's like <laughs> Why does he think it's bestial or like linking it to bestiality because like doggy style? I mean, because that's so <laughs> straight and gay. Like that's not just one. <laughs> like, yeah, like, and I just don't know where he's making this link in his mind. Like, be because some people are gay, then that means people want to have sex with animals. That is not a thing. That's not true. 
this is absurd. And I bet you so many people have read this and like completely changed their mind and probably think this like, oh my God, if you're gay, then that means you're on the path of bestiality. Like, yeah. and I know that uh, we're laughing at it because it's ridiculous and we can clearly see that it's ridiculous, but it's also incredibly harmful that this is something that a prophet taught that is in Mormon households and they teach at church like that and this is where a lot of the homophobia and the fear and the hatred of the lgbtq community comes from when people read things like this and they're not you know this stuff has never been denounced so they're like oh yeah prophet said it it must be true and then it just generates more homophobia okay This liberalizing process is reflected in the United States by communities of homosexuals in our larger cities who demand acceptance of their deviant beliefs and practices as normal, who sponsor demonstrations and draw up petitions to this end, who are formally organized and who even print their own perverted journals. All this (laughs) is done in the open to the detriment alike of impressionable minds, susceptible urges and our national deeds. Decency. So he does not like um, gay pride, (laughs) pride parades. Which, yeah, he's he's the the king of no fun because gay pride parades and gay pride months and celebrations are so much fun. (laughs) So fucking amazing. Oh man, this guy, I just. This is a whole book, you guys. I don't. I mean, this is a I don't whole. Know if you realize like, it's a whole book, and it's a big ass book too. Yeah, these are just. I've just gone through and highlighted like some parts of it. Like it's there's a lot in here that we could be talking about, but I'm sparing. I feel like we should break this up into multiple episodes. Because I'm sure you've only like barely pulled oh, out yeah. a few of those quotes. Yeah, there's so many more that I could have done. Yeah, I, I think I only have a couple more, but, like, I could have gone deep into this. But I was, like, <laughs> as I was going through and highlighting, I was getting more and more angry. And so I was, like, I got to stop. <laughs> this yeah, man is was... mad. Hmm. Okay, here's another one. Um, because of the seriousness of this sin, it carries a heavy penalty for the unrepentant. The offender may realize that disfellowshipment or excommunication is the penalty for heavy petting, adultery, fornication, and comparable sins if there is not adequate repentance. Yet he often supposes that because his acts have not been committed with the opposite sex, he is not in sin. Let it therefore be clearly stated that the seriousness of the sin of homosexuality is equal to or greater than that of the for- of fornication or adultery, that the Lord's church will readily take action to disfellowship or excommunicate the practicing homosexual. So <laughs> he's very clear about it. Wow, um, it's so Christ-like. So, so Christ-like. Christ-like. So for the sake of time, I think I'm just going to read one more because okay. this one crazy so do you remember how I did that response video to that youtuber who like she made that youtube video about how you should never date people who aren't mormon yeah 
It's the response episode that got deleted. But anyways, don't want to talk about it. (laughs) So in her video, she was saying that, like, you should be really careful. Like, don't date outside of the church because it's scary and blah, blah, blah. And she actually read this exact quote. So I'm going to read it to you guys. And she read it and she was all proud of it. Like, this is from Spencer W. Kimball, The Miracle of Forgiveness. Do not take the chance of dating non-members or members who are untrained and faithless. A girl may say, oh, I do not intend to marry this person. It is just a fun date. But one cannot afford to take a chance on falling in love with someone who may never accept the gospel. True, a small percentage of a small percentage have finally been baptized after marrying church members. Some good women and some good men have joined the church after mixed marriage and have remained devout and active. We are proud of them and grateful for them. They are our blessed minority. Others who did not join the church were still kind and considerate and cooperative and permitted the member's spouse to worship and serve according to church patterns, but the majority did not join the church, and as indicated earlier, friction, frustration, and divorce marked a great many of their marriages. So I just had to point out that that's, like, even still in YouTube videos in 2019, this book is being quoted as like guidance from the divine. So, and you guys do not date outside Mormon religion. Like don't date non-Mormons because they're the worst. They're scary. Honestly, they might drink coffee and that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> they might drink coffee and they might twiddle like, you know, they might twiddle everyone's diddle. <laughs> <laughs> Your diddle might get twiddled <laughs> <laughs> while they sip on coffee oh. and practice bestiality. <laughs> oh, all at the same time. They're such multitaskers. <laughs> oh my God, this guy is a joke. And it's so sad that people are still quoting him. Like the fact that that girl was, that's awful. I know it blows, blows my mind. So that's the miracle of forgiveness for you guys. So you guys don't have to read the horrible book, but if you go to a Mormon's house and you see this on their bookshelf, you know, what's in it and that they've probably read on it. Oh, pee. Bestiality, my ass. I'm going to take a piss on this. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Do we have any, do you have anything you want to say before we close up? No, other than thank you for the research and the quotes. That was quite enlightening. Of course. Depressing. <laughs> Depressing that that's out there, but it's good to know. And I definitely think we, I mean, if listeners like this topic or want to know more, I would be interested in knowing, like having another episode, just pulling out more quotes and going through it because it is, it is such a a heavily weighted book, I would say in the church, if that makes sense. Like a lot of people always quote it. And like Katie said, it's in every Mormon's household. Like I'm pretty sure my mom has it. I know growing up, I saw it. So um, it's not like a book that maybe a few Mormons have. It's like part of their their standard. Their um, yeah. what's it called? Like the scriptures had a standard works. Yeah, yeah standard <laughs> works. Well, thank you for coming to my Sunday school lesson, everybody. <laughs> 
You guys all have a good week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. We love you. We love you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.